Okay, so welcome everybody into the second session for the year and today we've got a really interesting mix of or techniques. We're going to start with uh, deep yoga nidra yeah. and you may have done something similar to this in yoga, hatha yoga at the end of the class but what we're doing is a um, more authentic version of that because uh, it takes you into a much deeper state. Typically um, uh, you get into a state where you're really in witness consciousness. And in fact, yoga nidra means yogic deep sleep. And the idea is that you are, it's, it's as if the body is asleep, but the mind, or the awareness is still fully present. So you might find it a bit bizarre because it's not a normal state that you would normally encounter. Normally when we're in a, a deep sleep state, there is very minimal awareness. But in yoga nidra, you have a full awareness and uh, the yogis in, in the more advanced um, practices of yoga nidra, they're actually able to, to access directly the subconscious mind where they can start to go and see patterns that are uh, blocking them, things that are holding them back. And you can actually eat phobias, any deep-seated stuff that's in there. And, and it's not scary because you're witnessing it as if it's you know, a movie. You, you feel it's separate enough from it that you can actually see what's going on and then by becoming conscious of it often it helps you to break through so it's a very powerful practice you may not get to that level today but i always like to suggest that um, it's a possibility that if you see you might get insight or inspiration and realize things that have been um, not flowing in your life and then you may even have inspiration on how you resolve that so it's a very powerful so subconscious is as the name implies it's beneath consciousness normally and it's where a lot of our habits reside and all the past impressions from childhood, all the, the drivers of behaviour are all located in the subconscious mind and, um, and, and so often we do things without really understanding why we do them we just feel it as a drive to behave in a certain way once you get into yoga nidra you start to see those dynamics much more clearly and then you have a lot more choice over um, how you want to react so that's the theory. Uh, the other thing about it is it regular practice of yoga nidra will actually assist the practice of meditation. By being able to hold awareness as you go into these very deep states, it means you can go into deeper meditative states and still be fully present and aware without feeling like you're falling asleep, which can sometimes happen. So that's the key, is always to go as deep as we can go while maintaining awareness. Okay, now the way that this works is that I will guide you through a full body relaxation and then we do uh, some breath, movement of breath through the entire body and then we concentrate on the three main chakras that um, are associated with um, waking, dream and deep sleep. So the third eye chakra, the throat chakra and the heart chakra and then we remain in the heart chakra region, we hold the awareness down in the region at the centre of the chest and from there you enter a state that, is, that will feel like sleep and then from there you just go with whatever happens. Okay, at the very least you're going to feel super relaxed. So it's a really, it's a very powerful relaxation exercise. After that we'll come back out very slowly and then we'll just have a little bit of a discussion about today's topic, um, which 
was inspired by a post that uh, someone had shared with me on Facebook. Actually, Kalyani had sent me a, a quote this week. So I put it on Facebook, and I want to talk a little bit about that. It talks about um, the ultimate states that we're seeking in meditation and that how, how we begin to live uh, from a position of centeredness and freedom. So that it's very inspirational, very powerful. Very, this guy is a, a world expert in um, Sanskrit, so he's translated a lot of the original yoga texts, and he's also a great scholar that is great at uh, interpreting those, as well as um, or, uh, explaining those and applying those. And then we're going to do a group meditation that will go for about 20 minutes, and there you will experience the power of the group. Some of you have been coming recently and doing the training, and now this may be your first encounter with what a group combined dynamic feels like. Okay, so we're going to start by lying down. Okay, now the arms should be slightly apart from the body. And palms are facing up. Or if that's not comfortable, then the palms can face down. Now, we're bringing the awareness, first of all, to the region in the head, the head region. So we're starting with the, the forehead. And when I say to bring the awareness to each part, you're just lightly holding the awareness. You might visualize it as a, a feeling, a sensation of being present in that part of the body. You may experience tingling or warmth, or you may even visualize a point of light, a blue star. You can't really do this wrong. It's just a question of really moving the awareness from part to part. And the progressive relaxation will begin to set you on the trajectory into the yogic sleep. So again, we're back in the forehead region. And then you bring the attention to the right eyebrow, the left eyebrow, and the space between the eyebrows. the right eye, the left eye, the nose, tip of the nose, the right cheek, the left cheek, the right ear, and the left ear, the upper lip, the lower lip, the jaw, top of the head, back of the head, and the neck, and the region at the throat, the right shoulder, the left shoulder, the right upper arm, the left upper arm, the right elbow, the left elbow, the right forearm, the left forearm, 
the right wrist, the left wrist, the right palm, and the left palm, the right thumb, the right index finger, the middle finger, the ring finger, and the small finger on the right hand, the left thumb, the left index finger, the left middle finger, the ring finger, and the little finger on the left hand. So now, now become aware of the entire right hand and the entire left hand, the entire right arm, the entire left arm, and coming back now to the right side of the chest, the left side of the chest, and the space at the center of the chest, the abdomen and the back, the entire spinal column, the base of the spine, the right hip, the left hip, the right thigh, the left thigh, the right knee, the left knee, the right calf, the left calf, the right shin, and the left shin, the right ankle, the left ankle, the right heel, and the left heel, the sole of the right foot, and the sole of the left foot, the right big toe, right second toe, the right middle toe, the right fourth toe, and the little toe on the right foot, the left big toe, the left second toe, the middle toe, the fourth toe, and the little toe on the left foot. Become aware of the entire right foot, the entire left foot, the entire right leg, the entire left leg, the torso and the head and the arms and the body as a whole. Become aware of the body as a complete unit. The weight of the body resting on the floor as you bring the attention to the breath. And now we're going to breathe as if the whole body is breathing. 
as we breathe up, breathe in, we breathe up from the feet, all the way up to the top of the head, breathing out from the top of the head and out through the bottom of the feet, up from the bottom of the feet to the top of the head and out from the top of the head through to the bottom of the feet. Continue to breathe in this way, up and out, down and out through the feet, up through the top of the head and down through the soles of the feet. Imagine that as you're breathing in this way, you're clearing the body, clearing the system. Washing it with energy, with light. In and out, up and down. And now we move up slightly, so we're breathing in through the ankles. Up to the top of the head, down from the top of the head and out through the ankles. Up through the ankles down and out through the ankles, up and down, in and out. And then on the next in breath, in through the knees and up through the top of the head, down from the top of the head and out through the knees. At your own pace, in through the knees, out through the head, down from the head and out through the knees. Washing and clearing. And now to the pelvis in through the pelvic region and out through the top of the head down from the top of the head and out through the pelvic region in and up down and out through the pelvis now moving the awareness to the navel. So we're bringing the air in through the navel and out through the top of the head. Down from the top of the head and out through the navel. Again in this regular cyclic pattern. In and up. Down and sweeping out through the navel. to the solar plexus, which is the area roughly a hand span up from the navel, breathing in through that place, up through the top of the head, down from the top of the head and out through the solar plexus, 
in and up, down and out. Easily and rhythmically washing the breath through the body in this way. Now to the space at the center of the chest corresponding with the heart chakra. Breathing in through that place, up through to the top of the head, down from the top of the head, and out through the space at the center of the chest. Clearing and washing. Smooth and rhythmic breaths. Thoughts come, distractions, you just return the awareness to the sweeping motion of the breath as it moves in through the heart region, out through the top of the head, down and then out through the heart. Now continuing to move up, the air entering in through the throat region, up to the top of the head, down through the throat. In through the throat and up to the top of the head. And now we're going to bring the breath slightly closer together. So now we're coming in through the throat and out through the space between the eyebrows. in through the space between the eyebrows and out through the throat. So we're connecting the throat chakra and the third eye in a clearing, sweeping motion, smooth and flowing. You may feel sensation, tingling, warmth. However you do this is all right. Finally, we come in through the nostrils and out through the space at the center of the eyebrows. Down from the space at the center of the eyebrows and out through the nostrils. Sweeping and flowing. And then finally, you imagine that there's an opening at the space at the center of the eyebrows, and now we're just breathing in and out of that space. So into the head through the space at the center of the eyebrows, and then out through that opening into the air. Clearing, washing with light. The 
as you feel in the center between the eyebrows, being opened, energized, and soothed all at the same time. All the cares and worries are evaporating. You just remain with the practice. In and out of the chakra which corresponds with waking state. It's the seat of awareness during the waking state. And now we bring the awareness down to the throat. And this is the seat of awareness during the dream state. So we're breathing in and out of the region associated with the throat area. Clearing, opening, Finally, we move down to the space at the center of the chest, roughly corresponding with the breastbone, slightly below. This is the region corresponding to the heart chakra in yoga. And this is where the awareness moves during the state of deep sleep. In Sanskrit, this state is called nidra. And as the breath moves in and out of this space, we feel ourselves moving deeper and deeper into an internal state of rest. With each breath we move deeper and deeper into the space at the center of the chest. Deeper and deeper, empty, empty, empty. And you just follow the awareness deeper and deeper into this state. My voice will resume in 10 minutes.
and gradually bring your awareness back to the space at the center of the chest. feeling that you feel. Just observe the state of the body, the state of the mind. If you can apprehend it, then the state of the energy field that surrounds your body, or the energy within your body. Continue to allow the awareness to flow now with the breath as it moves in and out. You can move the fingers and toes, bringing awareness back to the body. And take a deep breath and stretch. As you return to the waking state, Just take a moment to rest. There's no rush to open the eyes. Just reconnect with the physical from wherever you were. And when you're ready, you can slowly begin to open the eyes. the strangeness of the room. Not that it's a strange room, particularly, but things may seem strange. And then when you're ready, you can very slowly begin to sit up. congratulate you as a group. That's the first time I've done this where no one started snoring. No, it wasn't. No, you might have been breathing, but there was no snoring going on. So that's a, that's a record. A record for Milton. So you all feel relaxed? Yes? Did you all manage to disappear somewhere else? Hmm? Who felt that they got to that point where they felt that the body was asleep? You felt like the body was asleep, but the awareness was still there? Yeah? A little bit. That was the first time that, you know, you see, when you're down there, you can see stuff. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought that was so weird. Mm -hmm. But today I did see a couple of things, but I don't know what they are. You ask me now. No. Well, they're still in the subconscious, and you're back in the conscious. Mm -hmm. The thing is that when you're there, you just take the opportunity to note them. This is, in a way, this is a form of inner work. This is what this process does. It does a bit of inner work where it's clearing out stuff. 
you know, and even by, they say that when you shine light on the darkness, the darkness disappears. So by bringing the light of awareness to whatever phenomena are there, it sort of does a bit of clearing. There's a bit of magic that happens by doing that. A bit of, there's a deepening of your understanding at some very um, fundamental level. And you get it, you feel a little bit freer. You might find, I, I've had people here that say that things in their life that were blockages before start to become resolved without any conscious effort on their part because they're acknowledging it at the, at the deeper level and letting go. It's letting go. Or forgiving if there's people involved. All that. If you can take all those desires, the, the ways that you want to become or the things that you want to become free of, the deeper you can take them into that state, the more powerful the transformation is that occurs. You're doing work. It's almost like, I'm not going to call it hypnosis, but it's a variant of hypnosis in the sense that that's what psychologists have been playing around with for merely a hundred years, and the yogis have been doing this for 2,000 years. So there's an understanding that there is structural changes that can occur within the psyche, you could say, that occurs when you can access these very deep states with awareness. So it's profound, but you have to practice, like meditation, it's like if you've only done this for the first time, you might have just felt you feel really relaxed, and that's fine, there's no um, sort of judgement on how it should be, as long as you're feeling, is everyone feeling pretty good right now? Okay, so let's leave it at that, I, it's, it's, it's challenging for me because on the one hand, I'm trying not to create expectations, but on the other hand, I have to give you sufficient sort of uh, a conceptual understanding of what this is so that you can comprehend the experiences as they happen. And you might go home tonight and do this again as you're dropping off to sleep, and you might find you'll go deeper because you don't have the distraction of the fans or the person next to you. And you can do this, and it's a great way to do that. And you go into a deep state where you feel... Um, just a little bit more freedom, a little bit more release. Great. Now, I want to return to what I was speaking about at the beginning, which was this uh, quote that I'd been sent. So the author is this man, Paul Muller Ortega. So, he's a Sanskrit scholar and an acknowledged yogi in his own right. He says, why did we come here? So he's addressing some of the fundamental questions that we, chat, we ask in, in the, this practice of yoga. As we're trying to understand ourselves more profoundly and move through the superficial mind, the egoic mind, that's governing a lot of our actions. We return to the deeper questions of who are we and why are we here? And so he says, why did we come here? Why did we receive this body? This is not a question that can be causally, superficially, or only intellectually answered. It is one of the great mysteries of existence. Would you agree with that as a general statement that we, we have no idea why we're here? That's a, it's a pretty much a mystery. This is one of the things that most philosophical pursuits attempt to unpack this question of what the meaning of life 
Um, it might turn out actually that there's no meaning at all. If you're an existentialist, things just are. And you know, at the highest levels of yoga, actually, it becomes more like that. It's more of an acceptance of the things as life as it is. But in the meantime, you've got the mind. So he says that in fact, it is only in the fulfillment of our most authentic and highest practice that we individually, each of us, discern and see the secret purpose, the truest profound meaning and value of our own individual existence. So from the tradition of yoga, we're urged to understand that we are important and that there is something of great value of depth and purpose and importance going on. So what is that purpose? What is it that we are? What is it that we are doing here? Why are we studying? Life is filled with so many things that make us very busy, that call for our attention, our focus, our energy, our enthusiasm, and our commitment. So we're getting pulled in all directions by life. But for a certain moment, whether it's convenient or not, we have to understand. And then he gives this story of this, from one of the myths, ancient myths, about a time when one of the, uh, the gods visited the sages living in the forest. So there's a group of yogis that are living in a, a pine forest. And he didn't call or make an appointment, he just showed up. The sages of the pine forest were all very orderly and precise. And their reaction was, you're breaking all the rules. We have to have some rules around here. Because you're a god, you think you can just show up. But he didn't care in a certain sense, he was beyond all that. So basically, what this guy is saying is that it's all a matter of perspective. That from a worldly perspective, when we look at the absolute state, so we're talking now about the, the state that we go into in meditation, we call it the absolute. Why is it absolute? Because it's beyond the relative pairs of good, bad, uh, or, the, or the pairs of opposites, they call it. So in life, we're always navigating between the pairs, trying to avoid pain, trying to get pleasure. These, these are the pairs of opposites. Uh, adequate, inadequate. Um, beautiful, not beautiful. Um, all of those attributes that we associate with self. But in the meditative state, we're actually transcending those pairs of opposites. We're moving because we're, they're, all they're all basically concepts of mind. And when we move outside of mind in the meditative state, we enter what we call the absolute state, which is beyond the relativity, the relative existence. And this is what the god that came into the forest to disturb their meditation uh, was, the, the idea is that uh, in our most expanded form, we're beyond all the, those kind of rules. And so he's saying that in, in life, we're trying to integrate as meditators. How do we integrate the two aspects of ourselves? How do we integrate this very expanded state that we experience when we're meditating with everyday life. How do we navigate that path that you spend, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour, a day in meditation, and in that moment, nothing exists. 
and then you have to re-enter the world. And so, ha- and he's saying, well, ha- how does that map to this concept of human existence? When this experience is available to us, but it has no relevance, you would think, in terms of everyday life. So he says, that if we allow meditation to take us into this state again and again, we become more refined in how we think or conceptualize, think about or conceptualize life. Eventually we become more sophisticated in how we articulate or describe um, the state itself, the intricacies and the nuances, which is very difficult to describe. But as we become more familiar, it's like we're entering unfamiliar territory for the first time. If you go somewhere for the first time, um, everything's new and you, there's no familiarity and so it's very difficult for you to articulate to describe for you. But as you become more familiar, if I said to you, describe Narrawali Beach, say we all go to or one of the beaches, you can say, oh, it's got a north end and a south end and this and that. But if it's unfamiliar, you know, it's, you don't really have the language. And maybe this is not a good metaphor, but he's saying that the the idea is it's by the familiarization with the deep states of meditation that we come to understand them. Okay? And then he says that the ultimate goal, the ultimate seeking, is this state of living in this state of what he calls ultimacy. We're living in our, let's say, the best version of ourselves, which is free of all the limitation that has been imposed on us by conditioning, by parents, teachers, colleagues, every situation that we're in. All those things are limitations. If I told you that you are this from the moment you were born, or that you must become like that, then you start to define yourself in terms of those limitations, right? You start to think of yourself as uh, almost like an actor that's typecast. That's who you are. But that's a very limiting thing. When, you, when, we're talk, when we're coming at this from the position of the absolute, then we can start to break free of that limited description of ourselves and we remove the labels and we start to live in just a pure state of being and presence. Where there's not a lot going on. There's the mind becomes quieter and you're, you're able to actually... It's like someone's peeled off the filter and you're actually comprehending life directly rather than being filtered through. And then this is the bit I really like. He says, so in this state of ultimacy that is innocently revealed inside as we come to rest in the spaciousness of the innermost self. Do you like that idea, the spaciousness? That there is this, and you know when you meditate that it feels very unbounded. It feels very infinite. And so we come to rest in the spaciousness of the innermost self. We touch and we merge with that place. We move and we soar in that place. We melt there. We open, we're kindled, ignited and germinated. We're inspired by that place. It's that place of the mysterious liveliness of life itself, the intelligence and bliss of consciousness and the inherent love that is the essence of everything that exists. So that, don't you find that inspiring? This idea that we've got this infinite state within us that we can access any time that is very spacious, very expanded, full of light, and ultimately it's the source of everything that we 
we know ourselves to be as, as just as pure existence, as consciousness. So then he says every single being is important because every single being is both a wave and an ocean of bliss, a force of consciousness and perfection. So he's saying you start to see all of life as just a movement within this field of consciousness. This is a very classical view of yoga, is that everything, that life, there is a great uniformity. When you see beneath the surface of, of shape and form and name, name and form are the two limiting attributes. When you strip away name and form, there is a great unifying sort of presence that reveals itself. Do you ever get a sense of that when you when you step outside of mind? When you're coming out of sleep before the mind starts and you're just lying there, or when you're coming out of meditation, you've been in a very deep state, and you, or when you came out of yoga nidra and you're reconnecting, there is there's no label. The mind hasn't yet begun itemizing. It's that state that we're talking about, where the, that you are very present, you're very connected with life in that moment because there's nothing, in ho nothing holding you apart from that. So he says, um, we are traveling apparently in time and space, in embodiment through various kinds of experiences, identities, challenges and transformations. And he calls this the journey of existence. Within that, something exquisitely precious and sequentially, is sequentially revealing itself. Something tantalizes us. It dances at the very edge of our senses, mind and experience and calls us forward in such an exquisite way. And we become so captivated with it and also delighted and gratified and fulfilled over time. In this way, we come back to the heart. So he's saying this is the real journey. This is the real purpose is to know ourselves at that deep, deepest level of just pure being and ultimately it resolves into love. Initially, you may not, not be getting a lot of that, you might just feel in a stillness. But in, in its fundamental nature, it's in the nature of love. And I think that science is yet to explain this, but I suspect that at some point in the future, you know, when we understand consciousness better, we'll start to see what the, what the um, connection is between the emotional state that we call love and the state of pure, pure consciousness that we experience in the deep states of meditation. But we really don't need science to tell us anything at all because in, a, in effect we're making the discovery for ourselves. We're validating it as experience. So that's a little bit of a, um, a yogi's view on existence. It's something else to think about uh, that maybe has more authenticity to it than you know paying the bills or doing the routine stuff that you're doing is to start to look at your life in terms of more of a an unfolding of a deeper state of being and that's why we meditate and after a while all these other relative things you know start to take on less importance we're less held prisoner by them. We still do them, we do what we need to do, but we're living in another state of more, uh, like you can almost say, abundance. 
abundant state of knowing and very much acceptance as well so start to not judge things so much because at the level of judgment we're still operating at the level of the reality so any reaction to that Does it does it seem to you to be a valid statement of what the what the enterprise is all about? I agree. You agree? You, you vote vote in favour. <laughs> <laughs> so why why did I read that? Well, I think the point is how else how else do you explain why we're doing this? We could go to a very superficial level and say we just want to relax. And that's legitimate and valid. But you'll find that as you practice more and more, I mean, some of you are already getting glimpses of this. You report it quite regularly, that you're seeing certain things, you're feeling certain things in the meditative state. So what's going on? Is this all just imagination? Does it feel real? Do you feel that you're changing? As a person, do you feel? Did you feel the shift? The shift start to occur. No. If yes, feel like you're a better person. Less you are. But my word. Less angry. Less anxious. Less stressed. Who would you be? I mean, po pose this question to yourself. Try and imagine what your the main limitations are that you're carrying right now, and you don't have to say what they are. You think of a few. And then say, who would I be? Can I imagine myself as a person without that, those limitations? What would that feel like to be that person? Do you think it would be possible to be that person? And what's stopping you, even now, from dropping those self-concepts or the conditioning that's been put upon you? What's stopping you from releasing that now? The ego. Well, it's probably the ego. Yeah, there's some degree of, maybe you took on the belief you, you subscribe to the belief. Nothing better to do. Yeah, you think I'm that? Okay, I'll be that then. Is that what we did at some level? I don't know. But I'm saying now, let's imagine another version of ourselves where if you could sit down and write down on a piece of paper, we could do this as an exercise, write down all the things that you think are holding you back. Not externally. I'm not saying lack of money or, you know, the, the colleagues at work. But stuff internal, you know, tendencies. Maybe you have none. Maybe you're so totally happy with who you are now, and that's, that's fabulous. But I suspect that all of us are still carrying something that we would like to be rid of if we knew how. If we knew how. And it's very hard sometimes to know how, how do I let go? How do I release that? And the answer is a great technique, and you can even try it today if you want to, is what I said before, when you go into these deep states of meditation, 
you take the desire for change into the state. You take the. You don't have to think about the mechanics of this, right? You're not required to know the answer. You just take the question into the state. You take the the intention into the state. I want to be more patient. Let's say that. Maybe you think you're a little bit snappy sometimes. I'd like to be a more patient person. So you take that one in to the state and you go, patience. And then you release it. Like it's like dropping, do you know in the um, World War II they used to have depth charges that they'd throw off the sides of boats. They'd be like a drum full of explosives and they'd have a, some sensor that would detect, detect the pressure. And so it would know it would be programmed to explode at a certain depth and they were using them to try and blow up submarines, presumably. And so you think the submarine's at 200 metres, we'll set this for 200 metres. Down, 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 it hits 200 metres, boom. This is what happens in this meditative, I'm giving you a, quite an advanced and fairly not well-known technique here, but you take the desire deep into the state and release it into the silence. If you really want to transform yourself at the deepest level, I'm going to do a workshop on this at some point where we practice this. But you take it deep. Whatever the quality is, either the quality that you want to have or the quality that you want to be rid of. Your choice. Or you can do both, but probably just to keep it simple and just start with one thing. Try that for a week or for a month. And the key is to take it... This is why I was saying in Yoga Nidra, you try and hold the awareness as deep as you can. Keep the awareness open. Don't black out. Did anyone black out? You feel like you were gone? Mm-hmm. A little bit for some of the time? Mm-hmm. We, were any of you able to just hold the awareness all the way through? I had to work it a couple of times I went and I sort of picked myself back up. You're on the edge of losing it. Mm. So that's the muscle that we're exercising in that practice, is holding the awareness open. Now why that's really valuable is because once you can become more accomplished at doing that, you can go into the, and you sit longer for meditation. Although at the moment, you're all not really sitting for that long yet. Some of you are a bit more now. But the key is you're moving through layers. The deeper you go, you're moving through layers of mind. At the, at the beginning, when you're first trying to meditate, What's the first layer that you encounter? Thoughts. Yeah, a lot of thoughts. Um, so that's navigating the thought field. It's like walking through a minefield and you've got to j- dodge the mind. So you're dodging the thoughts, but we've got techniques now that can help. Remember we said last week, the mantra is your friend, the breath is your friend, they're leading, them, leading you through. They're reminding you that your, your mission is to get into the stillness, not to be caught in the thoughts. So that's the first layer as you go through thought. And then you might go through more subtle thoughts as you're going deeper and deeper. You're going into other things and you might start to see colours and visions and these are impressions. Or you might start to see or feel energy moving. So that then you're in the realm of experience. So we're beneath thought and we're into sense, maybe sensation, pure sensation. And then beneath that, there's other, another level and another level and another level. The deeper you go and you get right to the edge of the stillness, 
actually by now you're into the stillness. And so there's not a lot going on. Do you know that state? Into the heart of the stillness and there's not a lot going on. It's like a rarefied atmosphere. It feels very full though, doesn't it? Even though there's no thought content, it feels like a very, um, I don't know, the classical word would be something like a pregnant state. It's full of possibility. It's full, it's energized. And yet, it's sort of, this is why it's very hard when he says you, you need the language if you want to communicate this because it's hard. But there is this state where you get to where you feel that you feel very expanded and very spacious, very energized, but very still all at the same time. It's in that place that you plant the intention in that state. Because after all, when you think about it, all the habits and the conditioning and all that is equally deep in you right now. That's down in that zone. And so what we're doing is we're going in and we're counteracting that, applying equal and opposite force, we're applying the antidote to the things that are buried there that are making us angry or making us impatient or making us inconsiderate or lacking in compassion and empathy or whatever the thing is that you want to work on. So that's, that's a technique that you can try. And then there's acceptance. Another technique where you just say, you know what, I'm, I just accept the fact that I'm intolerant and a horrible person and um, you have to be careful though because we do live in a society and if everyone became intolerant and accepted that intolerance was okay it probably they'd all be fine but society would be a mess right so I think we've got to try and navigate we got we do have responsibilities see the, the yogis of old had the luxury where they could, hardly a luxury really, but a luxury in the sense that they had the freedom, the autonomy, that they could take off, off up the mountain and go and find a nice cave. And the reason they went up high was because the oxygen levels are very low, so you can get into very deep meditative states because of the low oxygen. Also, there's no insects to bother them. So they figured out, they had no technology, but they figured out if we go high up, into the snowy regions, and we do pranayama breathing to keep warm, because that's being warm is an issue when you're in the snow. Then we're going to be, we'll have complete autonomy to just do all this work, free of distraction, and we're not coming down until we're realised, right? Which reminds me of a joke. There are three yogis um, in a cave, high up in the Himalayas, and they've been there for a few months and, and they're in deep meditation and after six months there's a noise outside of the cave and the first one goes what's that was it a donkey 12 months later the second yogi answers no I think it was a goat 18 months after that, the third one says, if you guys can't stop arguing, I'm out of here. 
So that's the luxury of the retreat. You know, if you've been on retreats, we can re where you can pull out of the world and you don't have to deal with stuff. But unfortunately for us, we've got to figure out how to do this work and, and be in the world at the same time. Like finding the time, finding the time every day, fi having the discipline to pull ourselves away from activity, from people, from all the things that are trying to drag us you know, away. And we have to quarantine that time and we have to just allow that time for this. And that's a challenge. Not like Carlo, you can go and sit in the sun any time he chooses. We have responsibilities. And so the, 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 the discipline is really just that, the commitment to a regular practice. And then these states start to open up. They reveal themselves. And you can go deeper and you can take the intention down into the state and you can start the transformation. Okay, now if you can't do that and you're thinking, this is never going to be for me because how do I find 20 minutes a day? Uh, then you have to use other practices. You have to use mindfulness. Or you have to try and be present all through the day. Are you present now? Are you present? So this is not. Are you aware of your feet? Become aware of your feet. See how you move the awareness around? This is mindfulness. The hands. The fans. Whatever it is, the awareness will move to where we where we will it to go. It goes. It's very. It's like pushing a, a balloon. If there's no resistance to awareness, wherever you push it to go, it will go. So if you can be mindful throughout the day, that's fabulous. But unfortunately, one of the problems with life is it's extremely distracting and it's very hard to actually be... Have you ever tried doing this? Trying to be mindful even for 10 minutes? It's great until the first distraction comes up and then you're gone and then you feel mad at yourself because you lost it. So the good news is... So mindfulness is a great practice. And it's a very good, um, if you can commit time to, to building the mindfulness muscle. You, I was uh, watching a video that I'd shot two years ago with the Harvard researcher that had done the first neuroplasticity on brains, comparing meditators and non-meditative brains. And she agreed to do a Skype uh, interview with me. And one day I might play it for you. It's fascinating. We're talking about what the findings were and mindfulness and the parts of the brain that change under the influence of these practices. And it's absolutely there now. She can show the regions that increase. Anyway, but the challenge is with mindfulness, it's very hard to just do it using willpower. What happens though is that when you do the immersive meditation like what we're doing here, and you sit down and you commit to the 20 minutes a day, Mindfulness begins to emerge as a byproduct. Naturally, you will be more present. So I think, personally, I think that's a better and easier way to go, is to go and do the structural changes in concentrated periods where you're sitting there and you're just going into the state, using the technique, remaining deep into that stillness, and that's where the neuroplastic changes occur. That's where the neurology is reconfiguring itself and mindfulness then emerges as a byproduct of the practice. 
as well as being a practice, you see what I'm saying? It's a practice in its own right, but it's also a state of being that emerges as a consequence of the practice. Or you can try and do both. But another good thing you can do, which we do a lot um, when I was studying in India with my teacher, you do a practice, uh, you know, you've been given a mantra, and you do the practice of silent mantra repetition during the daytime. Even while you're doing stuff, driving a car. You could be thinking of all the thoughts, or you just do your mantra. That's called japa. Japa, repetition. So that's another strategy that you can use in the day if you feel like you haven't done enough meditation that day, you can just do mantra repetition during activity. Mantras is another huge topic which I won't get into today. But mantras are, are very, very powerful tools that are working deep at the energetic level. And I think you've already had a glimpse of that. If you've done the training, you see how a mantra is pre-programmed to lead you into the state. But you can also use the mantra during the daytime to displace unhelpful thoughts. Do you ever have thoughts that are just nagging, that are unhelpful, and you wish they would go away, and you get caught in those cycles? So mantra is your friend. And mantra, one of the, it has many translations, but one of them is mantra in Sanskrit means that which protects. It's a protector. It protects you from yourself, basically, from your own negative thinking. So that's another strategy that you can use. But I'd say if you're going to boil it all down, if you're looking for what is the optimal thing that you can do to um, accelerate the practice that you're doing or to uh, yeah, deepen the state that you're obtaining in meditation, number one is regularity. Number two, and, and then ex gradually over time extend the time. If you do yoga nidra, by the way, what we did before, you need less sleep because you're going into a very deep state of physiological rest that is actually more profound than, than sleep in some cases. Yeah, that little nap I had just then felt like about eight hours. Yeah. <laughs> so like they say no 20 year minutes of yoga nidra is like four hours of sleep. Yeah, I have no idea. So if you're saying, you know, I'd love to meditate more, but I need my sleep. Just do a bit of yoga nidra and you can start swapping it around a bit and you yeah. suddenly you can generate another hour in the day. Yeah. And you're not suffering for lack of sleep because no yoga nidra is actually doing the restoration. So these are the tips and tricks of the yogis that they create these things for worldly people, householders, so that we can um, create schedules that actually work for us. And otherwise you'd be thinking, well, I'd really love to sleep instead. Do this. Or meditation. Do you find that? You meditate? It recharges you? Yeah, if you do it, if I do it late at night, I can often I'll be really tired and I'll do it and, I think, and then I'm awake at one o'clock. Yeah. Well. Probably a bad time to do it. But um, if you do it in the morning and you've had a crap sleep, you meditate and you have a reasonable meditation, the body's crying for rest. So it's going to take it wherever it can find it. If you give yourself 20 minutes of meditation and you're able to go in deep, you find that some of the sleep loss is compensated for. Okay, any questions? Comments? I think we should have some water, actually. Would there be only two um, suggestions? Is regularity and... Oh, regularity. Extend the time. Come to group sessions, because you'll, you'll go deeper in a group, usually. Uh, once a week, if you can extend one session a week, 
So one sitting a week, maybe Saturday morning you got, or Sunday morning, you might have a bit more time. So let's say you're only able to do 15 minutes a day during the week. Put aside 30 minutes one day a week and give it the time. Often you just have to give it the time to go deeper. So that's another tip. And what that does is it pushes out the envelope a bit so the next time you go to meditate, you've already broken that ground. So you can go a bit deeper. Uh, what else? Avoid company of uh, people if you have control over your friends and your um, experiences in life, some control, start to gravitate towards people that are uplifting towards you. Because this is a cleaning pro, you're cleaning yourself from the inside out, so why would you want to add more of the old stuff, of the angst? So be more selective. But I've got to say, um, that's a great question, Eleni, a reminder of what else we can do. I've got to say that the more that, you know, we were building during the week, and the neighbour had the lawn, the whippersnipper going for far longer than it should have taken the whippersnipper back, back out. And I got really irritated and you said to me, but you're a meditator, how come you get irritated? Mm. Right? So there's a big confession uh, about to come out. The answer I finally came out with, and I had to think about it because I'm not sure why I was irritated, but I think what happens is we are fine-tuning the instrument here. We are actually moving into very rarefied states of consciousness where the, the, um, the instruments of perception are becoming very highly tuned. Because if you're going deep into these states where basically nothing is happening and you're having to retain awareness, maintain it, your, your instrument is becoming very finely tuned. And so to come back out in the world and listen to heavy metal is really going to be overwhelming for you. I can't listen to the same music I used to when I was younger. Maybe you can't either. But that's the answer to the question is that you become more uh, selective about the influences that you expose yourself to simply because, um, you know, you're wanting... It's a bit like you've got great hearing. Mm. You want to preserve good hearing. You're not going to be going into noisy environments. They're going to deafen you and dull the instrument of hearing. Right? You're trying to keep the instrument pure and uh, sensitive. So I think that's the key, is to avoid people and situations that you know are going to trigger certain... If you're still working on those tendencies, don't expose yourself in that fragile state of, um, re of transformation. Don't expose yourself to those influences become more judicious and selective about the influences that you allow in your life. Okay, is that enough um, guidance for now? I could think of more, but I think that's plenty for now that you've got a working framework that you've got now. You've got daily practice, deepening, planting intention deep into the state, and uh, selectivity around environmental influences to the extent that you've got control. And then I guess to the, the final one would be cultivate detachment. But that, again, will come as a byproduct of meditation as you become more detached. I mean, yes, I was annoyed, but I wasn't pissed off for an hour afterwards. Mm. They say that, you know, you, 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 you may still, it's not like we're, we're extinguishing all our emotions, but we have the capacity that we're not captive to them. So, yeah, you get angry, but 20 seconds later, you've forgotten all about it.
that's where you want to get to. Don't, don't repress these things. Maybe go fully into the anger. That's another tantric technique where you embrace whatever the emotional state is. If it's fear, you embrace it. Um, you ride the energy of the fear into the, into the deep inner state. We did that. Remember we did that with taste, with all those things? So that's another strategy as well, is that you acknowledge the... If you've got enough presence, you'll acknowledge that you're feeling angry. Just go with the anger. But you might have trouble with it. You might have. <laughs> <laughs> you don't, I'm not it's, it's, it's a form of, sort of detachment. Sort of it's detachment. You're watching yourself being it's angry. Anger. You're, yeah, mm. you're not caught by but the but anger. You're, not actually part you're of watching it. Yeah. You don't have to act it out. Just feel the anger, acknowledge the anger, accept the anger and move on. You know, it's not like we're trying to become goody two-shoes around here. You know, it's, there, is a, there is a stage in yogic practice, among certain traditions, let's say, where everyone's walking around holier than thou. I'm a vegan, man. Don't eat sugar. Sorry, Elaine. It's like, um, you know, you, you're sort of like trying to be different. But they say that first... Um, First, rivers are rivers and trees are trees, is that it? Then rivers are not rivers and trees are not trees. And then rivers are, are rivers and trees are trees again. So what that means is that when you, in normal, normal life, you don't overthink stuff. You just, you know, stuff's happening and you're acknowledging it. But then you become a yogi and suddenly everything has a meaning. And every, you're on the path and you're a seeker now and you've redefined yourself as this very pure person that's not going to be getting caught in all the, what I just said before, right? So you're that person. And you're better than everyone else now, right? Because you're doing the work and they're just muggles. And then uh, finally you get to the final stages where that all goes and you're just pulling in acceptance. And then things can just be as they were before and you're not worried about it. So these are the transitional states that you go through. But I, I've got to caution you about the middle state because there's a thing called spiritual ego that comes up, you know, uh, walking around with your full lycra outfit and your yoga mat under your arm and you're prancing around town and you're thinking, how cool am I? I, got, I had my chia seeds for breakfast and all that stuff and there's a, there is e that is ego. Maybe it's a less destructive form of ego but it's still egoic, isn't it? And so you've got to watch that, be on the lookout for that, because at a certain point you're going to start thinking, hmm, I just had a vision, or, you know, saw an angel. I must be pretty special. So suddenly you're better than everyone else because you saw the angel. So just be on the watch out. I think, you know, you can have all the experiences, they're great. But that's not it. That's not the end game. What's the end game? Yeah, liberation, just acceptance. I think it's a problem. Okay, so that's a little bit of a um, excursus into the territory of the life of a meditator.